You're listening to Seeing and Believing, a film and television podcast that searches for the sacred on screen. I'm Wade Bearden. And I'm Kevin McLenathan, and this is Holy Week, of course, Wade, that this episode is going live. So I'm really having to fight the temptation to turn my hat backwards, sit down in a chair backwards, rest my arms on the back, lean towards you and ask you, Wade, do you know about the real king of the monsters? <laughs> Kevin, I, I'm having a revival right here at my desk. <laughs> that sounds good. You know, let, let's wrap you and I. Let's talk about, you know, Skull Hill instead of Skull Island <laughs> for a change. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Listeners, today on the episode, it's hard for me to get this out. Today on the episode, we're going to be reviewing Adam Wingard's new movie, Godzilla vs. Kong. We also, as usual, are going to offer our weekly recommendations, and Wade is really excited to talk about another certain film by a certain Zack Snyder. That's right, he's going to share his thoughts on Zack Snyder's Justice League. All that's coming up on this episode, episode 285 of Seeing and Believing. This is our only chance. We have to take it. We need Kong. The world needs him. To stop what's coming. This child, she's the only one he'll communicate with. I knew that they had a bond. She had nowhere to go, so I made a promise to protect her. And I think that in some way, Kong did the same. Listeners, we are here episode 285, and Kevin, I'm still cracking up over that introduction and just how... How quick you brought that around. Skull Island, Galgotha, all that. I mean, I'm very <laughs> impressed. Uh, I, I, I missed my calling, Wade. I really should have been a, a an extremely lame youth pastor. <laughs> that was my life's calling, and I, I missed it. So you're stuck with me here on the podcast instead. Yeah, well, it's, it's an extremely lame youth pastor who thinks they're an extremely clever youth pastor. Uh, that's, right, of that's, course. that's just the angle right there. Listeners, we're going to be talking about Godzilla versus Kong here in a moment. Kevin, I got to say, hey, big shout out to you and to Chris Williams tackling a really long movie, Zack Snyder's Justice League last week. I enjoyed your, your conversation. And I will say this, uh, I wanted to add some thoughts but uh, I haven't I haven't finished the film yet. So t- so take my thoughts with a grain of salt. I'm I'm two hours in, and I I feel like I feel like there's a long way to go, Kevin. Uh, yeah, you could you could say that. I mean, I I have to say, Wade, I've been really looking forward to this recording session uh, pretty much all week because. I, I really want to know. I, I've just, I've been on tenterhooks. I want to know mm-hmm. what your thoughts were because you tend to be a little bit more uh, uh, bullish about comic book movies than me. So I'm like, you know, it's maybe not all that surprising that I wouldn't have been a huge fan of the film, but you know, this is, this is Wade we're talking about here. He's a lot nicer. Um, he, you know, 
he was you you like batman yeah like, i thought I, I i'm really curious to know what you think at least about the two hours that you have seen even if you're still kind of like you know struggling to pull yourself across the finish line there. yeah yeah well, well yeah so i i am like halfway through and so this is based on you know the first two hours and you're right I I said this, I think it was like one of our first few episodes. It was it was one of our first ten. What movie would I always see in terms of like franchise characters? I think I'll always watch a Batman movie. And now I've just really come to enjoy uh, Gal Gadot's uh, Wonder Woman. So I like her character. So I, I was going to sit down, you know, watch this. And I'm two hours in. And just my my brief thoughts. So I'm in the middle of the season right now, and I I think it's better. I, I think it is a little bit better. Uh, I wouldn't say that it's a lot better. At the same time, it's it's four hours long, you know. And 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 I'm just kind of at this place in my life where I'm assessing my time, trying to use it wisely, and. I, I'll admit I'm a little discouraged because the idea of watching something that's a little bit better, but that's like four hours instead of what, an hour and 45 minutes, um, I'm finding like it's hard. The, the motivation is not quite there. Um, I think that, you know, Snyder, he provides some fascinating imagery, but it seems like he leaves that behind for the, you know, these slow motion action sequences and I just don't know if some of these ideas he wants to stick are actually sticking with me at this point. Yeah, that's that's uh, <laughs> a pretty fair take. Um, I I'd be curious to to hear maybe not on the air, but maybe you know informally, just what you think once you actually get the other two hours under your belt. But mm-hmm. you're definitely right that you know four hours. There's a lot of cost benefit analysis and and uh, opportunity <laughs> costs. That go into a movie like that. I, I I said on Twitter that I could watch Justice League, uh, the Zack Snyder version, or I could watch Seven Samurai mm, and then yeah. take a half hour nap. Yeah, and I mean these are the calculations you have to make sometimes. So mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I I totally get where you're coming from there. Uh, the one sequence that I did like is the sequence where uh, they are talking about. Uh, dark side coming to the earth all those generations ago and it really feels like Zack Snyder is turning over the child's toy chest with all these different characters i think there's uh there's Zeus and there's the amazonian women and all of these you know greek mythology and superheroes and all that stuff and i thought that was funny it reminded me of that big sequence in uh, Ready Player One at the end that I just loved. I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, so there are some interesting aspects to it. And I know that that sequence in Zack Snyder's Justice League is an extended version of what we saw in Josh Whedon's uh, cut. So there are there are some things that I enjoyed. It's just, yeah, it's tough to get through. But uh, I'll get through it and... Maybe we'll talk off the off the air about how I feel. Uh, listeners, before we jump into our review of Godzilla vs. Kong, we want to let you know about our Patreon page, and we are just so thankful for all of our listeners who have taken the time to support us. We were just talking with one of our, our patrons, Eric Johnson, and trying to get him some of his perks, and we're going to give him my book, 
failing faith. We're going to allow him because of his donor level. Uh, we're actually going to review a film. He gets to choose any film. Uh, he could choose the youth camp Netflix movie a week away if he wanted to. And we would review it on the show. So we're getting that. And then we're also creating him a personalized viewing list. And he was letting us know too that every film he's watched is logged on Letterboxd. So we can come up with our list and then cross check that to give him movies he has not seen before. So I'm excited about that. Hop on over to patreon.com forward slash seeing underscore believing underscore podcast. And I would be amiss, Kevin, if I didn't share with them uh, the $5 donation level, which is really great. We love it. And I also, it's been, you know, it's been a couple of weeks since we talked, but I wanted to ask you, what could someone buy for five bucks? Uh, five <laughs> bucks would get you a, 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 an Instagram filter or I, I, I don't have, I don't have a whole lot of technological savvy, Wade. So mm. I don't even know if I'm using the correct terminology here, but, uh, you know, an Instagram filter that will allow you to, uh, overlay your selfie with crazy pandemic hair. And mm. I, I guess that's just on my mind right now because I've been looking in the mirror lately, Wade, and I'm getting to the point where I can almost have a ponytail. And oh, no. I don't know. It's not pretty, but maybe I'll be nostalgic for it uh, in a few years and wish that I had a filter like that. So <laughs> five bucks seems like a good price if for whatever reason you want to relive that part of the whole experience. Okay, yeah, yeah. No, that's... $5 is a steal for that to relive these precious, precious moments. Um, <laughs> listeners, if you'd rather skip that, head on over to our Patreon page. Once again, that's patreon.com forward slash seeing underscore believing underscore podcast. Kevin, we're going to hop into Godzilla versus Kong. And before we give our listeners a brief synopsis, I just wanted to ask you, how excited were you to see this movie? Because I, I you know, I talked about Justice League, Zack Snyder's cut, and just, yeah, kind of interested in seeing it. I was really excited to see Godzilla vs. Kong. Yeah, I, I mean, if we're just talking about those two films, I was way more excited for, for this film than I was for uh, the the Snyder cut. Um, I You know, I'm not like a huge Godzilla or King Kong fan, so it's not like I was you know, I had it marked down on my calendar with little hearts, you know, waiting with bated breath for the release date to come. But, you know, like, who doesn't like a giant monster brawl? I, I think there's there's part of us, part of everyone that can at least kind of, at least enjoy that in theory. But I was really hoping that it would be closer to the, uh, the 2014 Godzilla rather than the sequel Godzilla King of the Monsters. Because mm. liked one of them, really didn't like one of the, the other, so... Uh, yeah, that's that's kind of what my mindset was going into this. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I'm not sure that Adam Wingard's film needs much of an introduction. The plot is, is pretty much in the title, Godzilla vs. Kong, but here's the official synopsis. Just in case, the epic next chapter in the cinematic quote-unquote monsterverse pits two of the greatest icons in motion picture history against one another, the fearsome Godzilla and the mighty Kong, with humanity caught in the balance. They always are. Oh yeah, and in case you care about any of the humans in the picture, I realize that's really not a main draw here. The film stars Alexander Skarsgård, Millie Bobby Brown, Rebecca Hall, and Brian Tyree Henry. Kevin, director Adam Wingard is mostly known for his work in the horror 
or a genre. Personally, I've only seen two of his films, Your Next and The Guest, which I thought were both were both fine. What you can't deny about his work, though, is that it's got style and a pronounced tone. So, to get our discussion started, my first question to you is this. Do you think Wingard's experience as a horror director allowed him to bring anything new to these two classic franchises? Uh, you know, that's an interesting question, because I think the, the answer is kind of yes and no to that. The, the whole, his, um, the way I first encountered him was, uh, with the guest, which is kind of this throwback to John Carpenter kind of, uh, a kind of film like, uh, John Car- Carpenter was making in the eighties, you know, kind of, kind of very gleefully violent, kind of very meat and potatoes, you know, thriller filmmaking. And I think that's, that's kind of where Wingard tends to shine. And this is such, you know, a gigantic picture, not just in terms of the scale of the, the two monsters at its center, but also just the, the budget, the expectations riding on it, that it really feels like Wingard is in a, in a different wheelhouse, which isn't to say it's bad. I, I kind of felt like watching this that it was very much akin to a theme park ride. Like, Wingard is not really making a down and dirty carpenter homage. He's making, he's making a fun, uh, punch him up blockbuster, and he very much devotes himself to working in that mode. Um, I will say though that the other half of your question about his, his style, definitely comes through in this picture. I thought the um there's this interesting neon aesthetic he brings to it along in in uh, partnership with his production designers Thomas Hammock and Owen Patterson. Uh at Patterson in particular, you know, has a long resume including the Matrix trilogy as a production designer. So, working together they produce this really compelling neon color scheme for for the picture that is really striking and a little bit off the beaten path for this franchise. So I thought that was really gratifying. And I think in the end, I came down liking this picture. I had a good time with it. I don't think it's great cinema with a capital C, but I think it delivers the goods where it needs to. And it's not overly uh, ridiculous or self-serious, which the previous film, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, somehow managed to be both of those at the same time. So I was happy to see this kind of just go back to the more uh, thrill ride mechanics that this franchise can really lend itself well to. Yeah, well, you know, you kind of threw me off when you were hoping for a movie like the 2014 film Godzilla, because I feel like if you compare Godzilla with this film, Godzilla vs. Kong... Uh, Godzilla feels like a prestige picture to me. And this one is maybe a, a throwback to some of the cheesiness uh, or the less serious Godzilla movies we probably all grew up with. And I, I think that's I think that's a good thing. Of course, I, I like the 2014 movie just so much. Um, but this hones in, I think, on the style King of the Monsters was trying to achieve and just didn't quite get there. This movie's a lot of fun. And I appreciate how you you pointed out that that neon vibe. And you'll notice some of the soundtrack is a synth soundtrack in the background. Uh, There are definitely scenes 
that felt somewhat like Tron legacy to me. And, you know, as I was thinking about Wingard and some of his previous films, uh, this movie has a more um, gleefully destructive personality. And so anytime I watch Godzilla, I think of that C.S. Lewis Chronicles of Narnia quote where they say, uh, the beavers say that Aslan is good. He's not safe, but he's good. And here, Godzilla is definitely not safe. And there's kind of some fun twists that are inserted into this movie, but he is still a monster and we still get to see buildings crumble and there's this shot king kong 2 where where king kong he uh he quits fighting and he leans up against this skyscraper and uses it uh as a as a chair he leans his back against it and i think that vibe that willingness to embrace that sort of uh that aesthetic, that style lends itself to this film. And I got to say this too, King of the Monsters, I really didn't cheer anybody on in this movie. I was cheering the monsters on. I was having a good time and <laughs> you got to be doing something right if you get that response. I do think that this this film kind of has a, it, it, it has a good way of approaching its monsters in a way that's it, it is different from the 2014 film, which I still think is of the the new Hollywood Godzilla movies. I think that one is still probably the best. This one doesn't rise quite to that level, but it does, you know, it does find a way to to make them fun. And I think it threads the needle where, you know, when you watch a movie like this, you don't actually expect one of the monsters to be the the clear victor, right? Like you you want to kind of strike a balance where you know Kong gets his gets his licks in and Godzilla gets his licks in, and you know there the conclusion to that confrontation doesn't leave one in a clearly superior position. That's kind of to be expected. I think Wingard and, and his screenwriters really find a good way of you know, making that work without it feeling kind of just contrived or just pointless. And I think that that, you know, it's, it might be, that's a harder balancing act to pull off than it looks. I will say though, that some favoritism is pretty apparent just in the way Wingard uses some of his shot choices and the way that he frames these, these two different uh, monsters. The weird thing about this film is that Kong is almost a co-lead in the movie. He's kind of almost the film's protagonist, whereas Godzilla is more or less an, you know, he, he's an animalistic monster. And I think that that's, that's interesting. I don't know if that's as like, it, I don't know if the ideal version of this film would do things that way. I think I can imagine a version where Kong and Godzilla are much more remote and unknowable and brutish than the dynamic that we get here. Here, you know, we actually get point of view shots of, you know, Kong fighting with Godzilla. We're actually literally looking through his eyes. And we never really get that same perspective through Godzilla's eyes, which is an interesting choice on Wingard's part. And um, 
I, I'm still kind of, the jury might be out on whether interesting is the same as good, but I will th- take interesting at least as a as a bare minimum. I think that, that that choice to make Kong basically just a giant person that we really care for a lot more and Godzilla being much more just a, a force of nature that has to be dealt with is an interesting an interesting choice and maybe speaks a lot to the fact that Kong being a giant ape and being much more humanoid and anthropomorphic, the way that that plays on our sympathies and how Wingard leans into that, I, I guess that that's uh, compelling to me. Well, and it, it definitely feels like in the last 20 years or so, Kong has been more of a humanoid than Godzilla in films that we we get into his head a little bit more and like you said maybe it's because he's an ape and we can relate to apes a little bit more than we can relate to this you know Godzilla monster uh, but he he does he does get more the empathy and sympathy in this film and I appreciate the characterization uh you you use a word humanoid and it's really fascinating the way that this film goes about these characters, especially Kong, and even the fight sequences. There is a scene where Godzilla and Kong are fighting, and Godzilla brings down his, uh, I don't know what you call it, his blue radiation laser, and Kong is on a ship, and he jumps off as it explodes behind him. And he looks like uh-huh. Bruce Willis in an action movie. There's That's another exactly scene. what I thought, too. He's, <laughs> he's basically an action hero. In that he is. And I couldn't help but just laugh out loud at that moment. There's another shot. And you, you mentioned it with POV. It's the shot that we see in movies, uh, action movies nowadays, where the camera is actually attached to the actor. And so the actor like is falling down or fighting in this case uh kong is falling down and of course the background is moving but the character is is in the same position because the film because the camera's attached to him and he's kind of falling down and and we get that you know personification that humanization of these characters and in one point these monsters almost kind of go in this boxing match and kong just kind of punches Godzilla across the face and it's a fascinating choice and just emotionally I'll say I thought it was a lot of fun and I was kind of like cheering on like yeah Kong just punch him in the face and it feels almost cathartic because they're two monsters they're not human beings they can beat each other up and it's fine what are the moral consequences here uh so it is interesting the way the film goes about these characters and their fight sequences and how they take on each other uh and interesting is is probably the best way to describe it yeah it i i I think it's very intentional too on Wingard's part. Like this is not a, an example of him just kind of being careless or or just sort of going f- the easy route with how he frames the action. No, these are very intentional choices. And I think that that's part of what makes the film so fun to watch is like, yes, you're aware that you're watching, you know, kind of a, a dumb blockbuster where two giant monsters punch each other. That's kind of what you sign up for when you buy a ticket for a movie called Godzilla versus Kong, but Wingard also he's 
he's very smart about being dumb, I guess, is, is maybe mm-hmm. a, one way to put yeah. it. There's, there are various homages that he inserts into, into the film that are just kind of, they're, they're not just Easter eggs in the way that, you know, like Ready Player One was where you kind of see something you're like, oh, that's the Iron Giant. I, I get that reference. Um, but he, he takes, uh, elements from other films and he uh references them visually in this one in ways that are that are intentional but also kind of make you think about the connections that he's drawing and enjoy them because that actually kind of builds out the world a little bit more so i'm thinking about the uh the sequence where they without spoiling too much they the human characters follow kong to his his homeland sort of his point of origin and once they get there and and kong kind of is in his ancestral home it it almost turns into a lord of the rings movie there's kind of this <laughs> the scene where a secret door has to be opened and there's a throne and there's a mystical weapon and it's just it's it's really fun to kind of have that in here and not because it's just sort of like, haha, it's Lord of the Rings, I get it. It's more like, oh, this is kind of Kong is almost he's a mythical king in in this story. And that reframing of him is is interesting. He's not just a, a, a king of animals. He's like there's almost a regal quality to him, I guess. And there are other references too. There's a nod to 2001 A Space Odyssey, which is also <laughs> kind of fun in a punch him up monster blockbuster. So I, I think Wingard acquits himself well in delivering the blockbuster goods while also, you know, not letting, not making sure that the audience's brains don't fall out of their head when they're, when they're watching. Yeah. Well, and there are, if, if we're talking about it's smart choices that feed into this silly aesthetic, uh, there are a number of, religious images in the film there's one reference to the hand finger of god in the sistine chapel in this movie which is just sort i don't know it's just really odd to see that uh we have characters who talk about providence and i feel like these types of monster movies have always been about humanity bowing their knee to a bigger force and i still get that vibe here and obviously we can't pull anything too serious from this movie but it seems to tap into this idea that as human beings we have less agency than we think and we see that with the characters in this movie Uh, less agency than we think and we really do long for something bigger than ourselves because if we don't have anything bigger than ourselves, then it's just us in the universe. Like there's nothing else. We are, we've got to take care of ourselves. And so we definitely get this vibe here and Wingard throws a couple of references our way as a nod to the overall feeling this subgenre or even the, you know, the monster genre creates and those themes and ideas that have really kind of been there uh, since it's, you know, conception, it's inception. Yeah, that's definitely there as well. And again, the weird thing is those elements are kind of they, they were present in the the first two new Godzilla movies, right? The like that that idea that Godzilla is just the 
this being of almost godlike might and how humanity kind of we need a protector and Godzilla fills that role in those films. In this one though, it's he kind of that element of Godzilla as a as a character recedes into the background and Kong kind of steps into that uh into that space and uh you even see that extended into the human stories where you know the the hu- group of humans accompanying Kong, Rebecca Hall, Alexander Skarsgård, uh, the young girl. They there's not really any other way to put. It. They're a lot more interesting and compelling than the humans who follow Godzilla's strand of the plotline. Bill, Millie Bobby Brown, Bo- Brian Tyree Henry. Um, Julian Dennison, which a lot of people will recognize from Hunt for the Wilder People, they're kind of they're more obviously comic relief, and it's almost like they're they're in two different movies, and one of them is vastly more interesting than the other. At least that's the way I found it. And it, I don't know, it's just interesting that Kong kind of gets all of the interesting quasi spiritual meditations, and Godzilla is more about uh, wacky conspiracy theories and wisecracks. Yeah, it is. It is really, it is really fascinating how uh, these characters go about the background of the story, and some of it, some of it works fine. I think that there are a number of characters that just fall flat for me. Uh, Alexander Skarsgård's character Nathan, he just there's there's really kind of nothing there. He's just he's just the face. Uh, he's just an individual who's holding a spot in the movie. Uh, I did like uh, Millie Bobby Brown and her character as she goes along with uh, a man named Bernie, who's a conspiracy theorist, Be- because we kind of get to the background of this of this apex corporation, which is the traditional uh, corporation tries to play God and ends up causing havoc, worldwide havoc. So we get to see some of that, but they do feel very disconnected from the story. And as I was watching it, I was just kind of thinking through that almost age old question with Godzilla movies is, what part do the human actors play in this story? Uh, They're, they're almost stand-ins for all of us. They're they're very passive. They do lack agency, uh, and it really is when you go to a film like this, you want to see Godzilla and you want to see Kong. And so, what could uh, Wingard have done to flesh out those characters? And then, at what point is it like? Is it hey, well that you know that's not the point. Uh, so that I think that question will never be resolved. I think the film works in some sequences here with these human characters and other sequences. Uh, I, I think it does fall a bit flat. I do enjoy, you know, I, I did rag on, on kind of the Godzilla half of this film, but I do enjoy, um, the, I guess the, the, the human villains in this picture, it's not really a surprise who ends up being a villain in this movie? It's kind of obvious right from the get go. But I, I found at least the way that they're characterized and their motivations for doing so, that the kind of hubris that hu- humans deserve to be the the apex predator. They deserve to be the center of their universe, and uh, trying to essentially usurp Godzilla's rightful place at in that hierarchy I think is is compelling and maybe even more compelling because it's just a couple of scenes it's not really something that drags down the entire film in the same way that 
uh, that kind of plotline did in Godzilla King of the Monsters. So it was kind of gratifying to see Wingard, again, thread that needle, but not put too fine of a point on it. Yeah, and that, that seems to be seems to be the way you've got to balance out a film like this. And um, I think he does mostly a good job. Like I said, I had a lot of fun watching these two characters duke it out. And with King of the Monsters, I just really didn't feel connected to the battle action sequences here. Like I mentioned, I enjoyed them. I don't think it was too much. I was rooting for characters. Uh, I felt bad for, for a certain character at one point. And uh, I won't go into why, but but I felt was it, something. Was uh, it Julian Dennison's uh, character by any chance? Well, I meant I, one, sorry. Of, one of the monster characters. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. I I think I might know what you're talking about there as well. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> no. Carry on. No, but, but I guess the main point is I felt something. And, and that's a win in my book. <laughs> Yeah, I, I brought up Julian Denson's character only because there's there's a moment like he spends the entire the entire movie kind of being essentially comic relief that everybody just makes fun of, and then at the end he you know he's talking to Kyle Chandler's uh, <laughs> character, and he's just sort of like you know he's just saying hey just so you know uh, you know this is what we've been up to the entire film, and Kyle Chandler just looks at him and is like shut up man, <laughs> I was like that's. That's got to hurt coming from Kyle Chandler. Uh, it does. Coach Eric Taylor. Uh, why, why are you doing that? Man, no, I, I brutal. I'm, absolutely brutal. I, you know, that that was the biggest blow, the biggest gut punch uh, in the whole film uh, <laughs> out of all the violence. There it was. <laughs> Listeners, that is our review of Godzilla versus Kong. It's currently playing in theaters and streaming on HBO Max for the next 30 days. So you can check it out there. We'd love to get your thoughts. Make sure to tweet us at cbeliefpod at cbeliefpod. You can also email us seeingandbelievingcapc at gmail.com. Kevin, we've reached the point in our show where we recommend something from the world of television and or film to our listeners. What would you like to recommend this week? Well, uh, before we do, do go into that, I do want to say that if you can safely see Godzilla vs. Kong on the big screen, definitely do that. I do feel like I didn't quite get the full experience because I was just watching it you know, on a, on a smaller screen at home. And this is definitely a movie that you want the full blockbuster big screen experience. If you can do that uh, you know, safe, safely and health, healthily, um, by all means. And segueing from that into the recommendation i was trying to think of another kind of a fun blockbuster movie that manages to balance kind of the the small level uh character drama with kind of the the action movie big blockbuster goods uh, a little bit better than than maybe godzilla versus kong did and i i was thinking about 2004's hellboy directed by guillermo del toro which you know it's a comic book movie it's you know the the main character is, is hellboy he's you know this this demon who is now uh part of a uh task force that uh fights supernatural forces that come to earth and a lot of the charm of this film is in Ron Perlman's performance as Hellboy and the supporting cast of characters who are all really colorful, really fun to be around. And their repartee and camaraderie are really 
really fun to watch and to just hang out with for a while. But Del Toro also knows how to bring on the big budget goods when it's time to do that. And the sort of cosmic horror vibe that he brings to the central conflict of this film is also really compelling. It's uh, I, I enjoy it quite a bit. It's I feel like Hellboy is kind of you know, it did get that remake a couple of years ago that by all accounts wasn't very good. I didn't actually see it, but even so, I feel like the Hellboy movies never really got a the same fair shake that, you know, like the Marvel movies did. And I think that's a shame because they they have a lot of charm. Yeah. Well, and y- you know, I I like the first one. I actually might like the second one even more. I think I think the second one kind of opens up the universe a bit and it's really sad that there wasn't a third movie because he definitely sets it up throughout the first two and that could have been something special, very special trilogy. So, uh no, that's a good that's a good pick and uh I, I like that film a lot. I'm actually going to recommend a series, a superhero series that just debuted on Disney+. Plus. I've only seen the first two episodes. Those are the only two that are available right now. When this show is released, the third one will be up. But it's the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So this follows uh, Sam Wilson, Falcon, and Bucky Barnes, the Winter Soldier, uh, played by Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan, respectively, as they go off on this adventure to stop a terrorist organization. And I think the action sequences are fine. I think the show as a whole is is pretty good. What I appreciate most about this story is that it deals with PTSD, specifically with Bucky Barnes as he is attempting to work through his past And then at the same time, it's dealing with the consequences of what we would call the blip when half the people on Earth disappeared uh, at the end of Avengers Infinity War and then they all came back. And we really kind of dig into some of the nitty gritty of what that means, particularly the involvement of uh, the establishment of refugee camps for people who no longer have a place to stay after they've come back. I think dealing with this elevates the story overall because there are real consequences. Most people, you know, there there aren't many characters who end up dying in the MCU. And so at the end of Infinity War, I was like, oh, they're just all going to come back. But by giving us five years, you really ramp up the consequences while kind of having your cake and eat it too, uh, getting all those superheroes back. So this is a, a pretty good show, a lot of fun. And Wyatt Russell plays uh, the individual who takes over as Captain America. And so far, he's he's pretty funny. He does a good job. So I'm interested in seeing more. But uh, if you have Disney+, Plus, I would encourage you to check it out because uh, so far, it's, it's pretty delightful. I can't remember, Wade, was it you that I was talking to at one point where I said, you know, I just don't like Bucky Barnes. I just don't think he's a very interesting character. Mm-hmm. And you you act like I just, you know, kicked a puppy or something. <laughs> was that you or was that someone else? Uh, it sounds like something that would happen on the show. I don't remember the the conversation specifically, but maybe I just tried to erase it from my mind. Maybe it just hurt so bad. <laughs> Well, you know, I, I, you know, I gotta say, my my estimation of Mister Barnes hasn't necessarily changed, but I have heard that uh, Wyatt Russell is really good 
in in the picture. And I I think that he's he's an actor that I don't quite know why he hasn't broken out in a big way. I, I would just expect him to. He's just kind of got the he's got the charm and the charisma that you would kind of expect out of a major star, but hasn't quite found the project that really vaults him to A-list as. So, you know, maybe here's hoping that this this uh, series does that for him. Yeah, and it, it helps to have a very different face from Chris Evans. So when he puts on the mask, it just works. He just looks like a like a cheap version of Chris Evans. And I, maybe that's devaluing him as a character. It's I hope it's not. He just looks like the person who is on <laughs> Times Square trying to get money for pictures and not the real Captain America. And it just helps to that persona uh, they're trying to create on, on the show. So, yeah, I, I hope to see, you know, Wyatt Russell in, in more, and hopefully this will kind of be his his big jump. Listeners, we want to thank you for listening to this week's episode. It's brought to you by ChristandPopCulture.com. Make sure to rate and review Seeing and Believing. And as always, send us your thoughts about some of the films or the television show that we talked about today. You can do that, seeingandbelievingcapc at gmail.com or tweet us at cbeliefpod, at cbeliefpod on Twitter. Our producer is Jonathan Clausen, who every week helps us to search for the sacred on screen. I'm Wade Bearden. My co-host is Kevin McLenathan. And until next time, this is Seeing and Believing. We'll see you later. You have been listening to Seeing and Believing, an official production of the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. Please rate and review the show in iTunes and check out our other shows at christandpopculture.com slash network. Theme music by Alexander Osborne and Lindsay Miz, used under Creative Commons License 3.0.